Good morning again. We, uh, apparently I'm not allowed up on the stage without Kaylee Lindstrom joining me. So <laughs> Kaylee has some really exciting news from last week. So she's going to come up and she's going to share with us tonight. Good morning. So I'll tell you, the original plan was that I was going to get up here today and remind you that we would still be collecting donations for our whiteboards and marker donation for Bemis Elementary School. But I've got to tell you that last week and throughout this week, you all have been so generous that we were able to completely fulfill the need of Bemis Elementary already and provide over 450 whiteboards and markers. So. I just wanted to get up here and say thank you so much for your generosity and for stepping up and completely filling that need of our community. And over these next few weeks, I just ask that you'll continue to pray for our community and for the neighboring communities, for the schools, for the teachers as they start school this year. But thank you all so much. Amen. always exciting when God's people show up and awesome things are done and we're able to really bless the community and bless other people's lives. Uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you again for this day, Lord. Father, we pray you'd pour your spirit out on each one of us here. Give us ears to hear. Give us an open heart that we would receive whatever message you have for us today. Lord, just speak into our lives wherever we need to, to, to clean up, wherever we need to show up, Father. Maybe we need to wake up to begin with, Father. We just pray that you would show up, that you would speak into our lives and that we would recognize that. Help us to take that next step. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're gonna read uh, Romans 13, eight through 14 today. Let no debt remain outstanding Accept the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Last week, we talked about how love is internalized in us. When, we, when the Holy Spirit begins to work in us, love is internalized in us. The, we are filled with the love of Christ, that love overflows into other people, and hopefully love becomes actualized in other people. Chapter 13 is a continuation of that message. Paul 
will go on to talk about how we are not to have any outstanding debt except love, right? That's what's supposed to. We're supposed to just continue to love one another. And we do that. That's all summed up in the commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. If we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're not sleeping with his wife. We're not stealing from him. We're not doing anything that we shouldn't be doing. We follow the commands naturally if we're loving other people. So today, though, in, in verse 11, we're going to start, we're really going to start our message there because Paul begins to transition in verse 11. All through chapter 12, we saw what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to offer our bodies up as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We're supposed to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to renew our minds. We're supposed to be internalizing the love of Christ. So all through chapters 12 and up to where we are now, we see God speaking, we see Paul sharing um, what we are supposed to be doing, how we are supposed to live. But in verse 11, that changes to this. And do this, so do all these things that we just talked about, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber so Paul goes from what we should be doing to when we should be doing it. And the answer to the when is now. It is time now to wake up. We need to stop pressing the snooze on our alarm clock. It is time to wake up and start getting out and doing what God has called us to do. I want to begin, I'm going to read to you some, so I'm going to begin with a story. Because I like weaving narratives into to these messages, if you haven't noticed that uh, yet. Most of this is from the United States Department of Veteran Affairs. I did a lot of study in this week on Pearl Harbor and the greatest generation. Uh, so some things in there are changed or added, but most of the story came right from, from that Department of Veteran Affairs. It was a quiet and beautiful Sunday morning at Hawaii's Pearl Harbor, home of America's US Pacific Fleet. Many of the 60,000 sailors and other military personnel stationed there were still in their bunks resting after a Saturday night on the town. Some were eating breakfast, a few were on duty, others just straggled in after a long night. What appeared to be another beautiful day in paradise would quickly turn into a nightmare. At five minutes before 8 a.m., 183 Japanese aircraft raced across the mountains north of Pearl Harbor with a mission to destroy the U.S. fleet. Bombs were dropped on fuel and ammunition dumps, buildings, and ships. Some Japanese pilots strafed everything in their path with winged, mounted machine guns, while others dropped torpedoes. The attack was a complete surprise. Some sailors went down with their ship while still asleep in their bunks. Some were trapped only to drown inside as water slowly replaced the air in their ship. Some had to choose between staying aboard a doomed ship or take a chance by diving into a harbor aflame with burning fuel and littered with the dead bodies of their fellow sailors. It was truly a living hell. How did we get to this place where we were able to be caught so completely off guard? You see, the attack actually began months earlier, but the enemy was crafty. They were smart. First, to string Americans along, they made them think that peace was possible. Japanese sent a new ambassador to the United States to engage in protracted negotiations. 
that were little more than a smokescreen hiding the nation's true intent. Second, they used misdirection and misinformation to believe that their fleet was up north near Russia. They maintained radio silence during the entire trip across the Pacific Ocean to not be detected. And third, we were asleep at the helm. The attack began six hours before eight o'clock when a two-man Japanese submarine was spotted trying to enter the harbor. <clears throat> the ship that, that spotted the submarine was the Antares. They radioed in because they were unarmed, so they just radioed in that they thought they had spotted this submarine. A warship came out and they confirmed that it was indeed a submarine, and they sunk, sunk that submarine. The problem, after they sunk the submarine, they sent that information onto their superiors. That information was passed up the line. That information was never sent to the army. By the time the fleet admiral got the information, the attack was already underway. Had they sent it to the army, perhaps the base would have heightened their alert. They, would have, they were at a level one, I think it was one, two, three then. They could have heightened their alert. They could have been on alert, recognizing that something was coming. But we didn't. We were asleep at the helm. There's a lot of similarities between that story in the church today. In a lot of ways, we are asleep at the helm. Like 1940s America, the early church, so still in the time of Paul and the apostles, they were already falling asleep. That's why Paul has to tell them, wake up. Wake up, the time is now. Like 1941 America, the church and believers today, we too are falling asleep at the helm. So Paul says, we don't have that much time. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. We must wake up. You see, like 1940s America, the enemy tries to confuse us as well. The enemy tries to confuse us with misinformation and misdirection. The enemy, misinformation and misdirection such as, and I wanted to give an example of this, such as a prosperity gospel. Sounds really good, sounds really nice. We can take a few verses and we can try to make that reality, but that's not what the word of God says. The enemy tries to confuse us with partial truths, much like, like the enemy in the Garden of Eden you know, used some partial truths to get Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit. Today, the enemy uses partial truths like you need to love everybody. That's true. We've been talking about it for several weeks, right? But the enemy will confuse us on what does it mean to love everybody. Loving everybody doesn't mean we allow sin in people's lives. Now, we can't stop it physically, but we need to warn people. If somebody's out running through the street, we don't just let them run around when a car's coming, right? We love them enough to say, get out of the road. And a few weeks ago, Pastor Joe showed uh, Penn Gillette up here, and he said, 
How much must you hate somebody not to warn them if this is true? Even agnostics get this. But the enemy's crafty. And he's confusing us as the church on what does it mean to love people. Much like 1940s America, the enemy is lulling us into a false sense of security. Now this isn't new. People were doing this during the times of the apostles as well. 2 Peter 3, 6 through 10 says this. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has been since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's words, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some have understood slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Church, don't be confused. I know it's been a long time. Every generation has said Christ is coming back. Peter says Christ is coming back. That's a promise you can bank on it. Christ is coming back. We can no longer sleep. It is time for us to wake up. There is too much to do and not much time to do it. And once we wake up, then we must clean up. Once the attack on Pearl Harbor had begun in American fashion, these brave men and women pulled together Ammunition and weapon lockers were broken open in order to fight back. Army pilots dodged bombs and machine gun fire to make it to their planes in an attempt to take to the air and drive off the enemy. The injured and dying were rendered aid. Some put their comrades before themselves and risked their own lives to save strangers. The attacks on our faith, the attacks on our lives have been going on for too long. Just as the men and women at Pearl Harbor mobilized and began to fight back, we must chase away the enemy. We must clean up the mess so that we will be able to prepare when the enemy strikes again. So practically speaking, how do we do this? How do we clean up? Last week we talked about um, life verses. And when Paul tells us how to clean up, Paul says this. He says, let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. We put on the armor of life by those life verses that we talked about last week. We put on the armor of light by following what John Wesley called the means of grace. 
what some in the church today, we call spiritual disciplines. Disciplines like prayer, scripture reading, studying, fasting, worship, and the sacraments, which we will do today. We must put ourselves in a position to allow the Holy Spirit to work through these disciplines. Once we begin the process of becoming who God created us to be, it is important that we begin to live into the calling that God created us for by showing up. This is my favorite part of this story. This is the moment when the greatest generation was born. Sorry, young people, if you think you're the greatest generation, you're not. (laughs) This is where the greatest generation was born. Once the attack on Pearl Harbor was over, the U.S. was catapulted into the war. But the military did not go into battle alone. The entire nation went to war with them. We have all seen wars in our lifetime. I have never seen an entire nation really get behind one of these wars. But in World War II, the greatest generation did. Here in the States, people may do with less in order to contribute to the war effort. That meant rationing and doing without some of the staples of daily living. United as a country in the face of evil, the greatest generation came together to sacrifice what they could to make the world a better place. Some of the things that they had to ration at the time. I want you to really think about this. How quickly would we give up some of these things today? It was automobiles, tires, gasoline, fuel oil, coal, firewood, nylon, silk, and shoes. Americans had to use ration cards and stamps to take their meager share of household staples, including meat, dairy, coffee, sugar, wheat, dried fruits, jams, jellies, lard, shortenings, and oil to cook with. Would we be willing to sacrifice those things today for our nation? But even more, are we willing to sacrifice those things today for God, for our church? They didn't only sacrifice their material things. They didn't only sacrifice uh, those items, though. They sacrificed their time. Volunteers began to conduct drives for the collection of scrap metal, aluminum cans, and rubber, all of which were recycled and used to produce armaments. Individuals purchased U.S. war bonds to help pay for the high cost of armed conflict as well. And they planted gardens and began to grow their own food. Between 1941 and 1945, it is said that 40% of all the vegetables eaten in this country were grown in people's yards so that they could conserve for the military effort. After the greatest generation woke up 
after they began to clean up, they began to show up. Romans 12, 6 through 8 talks about the ways that we can begin to show up. Right? We need to get into that place where we're allowing God to work in us and change us. And then we need to discover what can we do to help the effort. Not everybody could do a can drive. Not everybody could plant a garden. But everybody could do something, right? And that's what we in the church, we need to do. We need to discover what has God called us to do? What is our purpose here and now? And how do we live into the calling he has given to us? The greatest generation built one of the greatest nations this world has ever known. Imagine the kingdom that we as believers could build if we showed up the way the greatest generation did. I know uh, we're done a little bit early, so I hope Pastor Joe is here. I'm going to pray for us, and I think we're going to start communion. Um, and I'm sorry, I actually had 45 minutes, so I tried cutting it short, and I cut it too short. But I'll make up for it with a really long prayer. How does that sound, all right? So get ready, close your eyes, and we are going to do a super, super long prayer. That's, that's not really true, but... Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you for these people, Lord. What a gift they are in my life, Lord. The grace that they show all the time, Father. And Lord, I know that this is a church where people want to show up. They want to serve. We saw it last week, Father, as they gave um, more than enough to cover uh, what we needed for the schools. And Lord, I know that there's just a lot of people here who are wondering, how can I show up? How can I serve? How can I get involved I pray for your wisdom and discernment for each one of them. I pray that you would reveal to them where you have gifted them the way you've revealed it to so many others. And then, Lord, I pray that you give them the courage and the boldness to really step out in faith and begin to serve in the way you're calling them to. Father God, I also pray as we get the opportunity to come here and um, take communion that this would be more than just a time of sharing juice and bread, but that this would be time, a time of confession, a time where we draw near to you, a time where we just sense your presence and know you more, Father. Lord, I thank you and I praise you again in Jesus' name. Amen.